Hello everyone, welcome back to a brand new episode of Talking Their Language with Helen Bodell. Our episode today is when EAL meets MFL and I'm joined by Bethan McHugh who is the Twinkle Languages product owner. Hi Bethan, how are you? Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your experience with languages? Hi Helen, thanks so much for having me, it's great to be here. So I've been product owner at Twinkle now for two years. And before that, I've taught French and Spanish from key stage two to five, uh, both in inner city London schools and in Wales. Um, I've been head of Spanish, head of year in the sixth form and and various roles like that, as well as working with teacher training um, as a CPD presenter and author. So I'm really passionate about languages and the language classroom and the dimension that EAL learners can really bring to enhance any school's languages provision. Oh, thank you, Beth. And that's brilliant. Um, that's a wealth of experience there from London to Wales. Very different as well, isn't it? <laughs> very much so. Very much so. And a big difference in the EAL provision that you then see in the schools as well, because we had to have very targeted departments in London and the, the staff as a whole were far more skilled in general because they were, they were used to having EAL learners on a regular basis in their lessons. Yeah, that's it. You definitely see um, a huge extreme, don't you, across the country. Um, So what would you say are the most common challenges MFL teachers face when teaching? Well, I I think for primary MFL teachers, it's the lack of expertise in languages in the first place makes the added dimension of EAL to be really quite worrying for them. Whereas actually it can be something really positive if if you kind of take a step back and, and look at it. I think the linguistic diversity in classrooms in general is increasing and we have more multilingual learners than ever before in primary schools, which I think adds the biggest complexity for teachers. So we know from this year's British Council Language Trends Report that almost nine out of 10 schools have pupils for whom English is an additional language in their classroom. That's 87.4% of schools, which is huge. And then um, from a recent school census carried out by the DOE, one in five have a first language known or believed to be other than English, and that's even higher in primary schools at 21.2%, according to the recent figures. So the, the biggest challenge that comes from this is that many schools don't actually have an EAL department or an EAL lead, and expertise varies greatly within primary school clusters, within a MAP, for example, or, or within just an individual school. You know, that means without the EAL expertise, there's more demand on teachers who've already got limited training in teaching a foreign language at primary school. And they themselves can feel underprepared to teach a language because they don't feel that they have the linguistic competence to do it. So trying to make steps forward with languages when already they're worried about languages and then they have a wealth of other languages in the class can be really worrying for them. And I think a a general issue is that languages as a result tend not to be seen as a priority for support, in which case EAL learners are often withdrawn from lessons. So it's about the priority of that. So it's kind of the broader picture really impacts on languages itself. And I think, it's the withdrawal that I think is is the one that worries me the most because EAL learners have the capacity to be such strong MFL learners that it's a real shame if they're withdrawn because their English needs help. Yeah, I was thinking about that and we hear this idea of EAL learners being withdrawn from MFL um, and PE and arts and those sort of subjects. Um, or sometimes they're being asked to wait until they have a better understanding of English before 
they're introduced to another language. So would you say this is sort of a common misconception or do you think there is some truth in it? I think it's a huge misconception. I think the assumption for many people, and I'm sure that all EAL specialists will agree with this, which is that EAL automatically falls under the category of SEND. And and that's, that's not the case, you know, as you know, teachers worry about EAL pupils coping with a new language before they've got a skill in English. But actually, you know, one thing all EAL learners have in common is some degree of proficiency in more than one language. Yeah. So this already gives them an advantage in the MFL classroom. And they've actually got more skills to excel as foreign language learners. So, you know, I, I do think it's... A, a real misconception. In fact, the National Curriculum for Primary Languages says that languages should be seen as an, uh, are a liberation from insularity <clears throat> and provide an opening to other cultures. Well, I can't see any more positive way of doing that than an EAL learner within the classroom to help with those steps towards broadening cultures, broadening horizons, and taking that step towards a liberation from insularity. Um, I think MFL can offer any pupils with limited English English fluency a real chance to, to have a level playing field, an equal opportunity to engage with the curriculum. Um, they can also be a real role model for other pupils because they can show how they themselves are learning a language. So they can perhaps take on a language ambassador role or, or some kind of helping role within that. And, you know, generally you would see that MFL is an area where EAL learners are not behind and having to play catch up. And that can, you know, really help with their general confidence and their engagement to other aspects of the school. So I understand why the time might be taken for foundation subjects or for non-core subjects. But languages are an area where these, these learners have a huge advantage and they can really bring something to the lessons. And I think they're missing out quite a lot if, if yeah. they are withdrawn as a result. Yeah, definitely. It's a huge confidence boost, isn't it? And a huge um, place for them to really excel, isn't it? Which is something that we need to make sure we're, we're getting behind. Um, and how would you say that teachers can support EAL learners in the MFL classroom? Is there any scaffolding or any techniques that you think our listeners might be uh, worth looking into? I think it's encouraging students to think about what you're teaching so that they can look um, at any parallels themselves, making those comparisons, which is so important for cultural capital, for that developing of a broader anyway as part of a language curriculum. But you'd be trying to make links. So I'd asking the teachers, you know, to try and find out some specific features of their home language. So forms of address, word order, any specific pronunciation uh things that may be very different cognates any words that sound strange you know trying to get them to share more information to welcome their home language into that because at at primary level you're expecting children to be making progress in a language but as part of that you're expecting them to develop broader horizons an outlook on the world and an understanding that that we are in in a global uh community and I think encouraging that aspect can can really help uh, really help you know looking at that can be a massive positive point to help learners feel as though they belong in the classroom in terms of actual work I think assessment is something that teachers perhaps have to think about so 
it's best to avoid any excessive stress and just to think about how your assessment may be inaccessible for an EAL learner. So you may need to look at perhaps more informal styles of assessment. So if it's a listening exercise, visual so rather than asking them to answer questions in English, because we're not we're not testing their English, we are actually testing their comprehension of the foreign language. So you would want them to have visual clues so that they could take pictures, for example. And that's actually a beneficial thing for any form of adaptive teaching, not just for EAL learners. So actually that makes it more accessible for many more students in any case. Um, so avoiding kind of very formal assessments, I think, in those looking at more um, informal ways that you can assess progress, but looking at clues that they can use for their language, because, you know, they're going to have theory, better classification skills, better kind of uh, grammatical understanding, better metalinguistic awareness. They're going to have these as an automatic thing because they are already going to have proficiency in more than one language. So it, it's viewing it not as an a permanent additional need, but a temporary additional need and supporting that within because actually accessing the language, they're going to have, in fact, many advantages to other pupils. So it's just making sure that your explanations are clear, that you have visual cues that you have, which, to be honest, MFL is a subject that tends to lend to this really easily because we would always want to try to introduce things using the target language and not relying too much on English. So, you know, it's just giving the support when there is the English scaffolding in terms of the language itself. It, it all should be really accessible. Yeah, that's really true. And with your assessment um, at secondary level, is that something that can be offered there as well with the visual cues and the adaptation of the assessment? I think it obviously becomes more complex at key stage four when obviously you're looking at assessments and you'd have to then, you know, look at what an exams officer within a school could offer and what support you would be offered within that. Um, but there are opportunities to help boost students also by thinking, well, could they take a GCSE in their home language? And that's often a yeah. really positive way to help them to, to really boost with that as well. Uh, so, you know, there, there can be real positives too alongside that. Um, I, I think at Key Stage 3, there's an awful lot more flexibility. The, the structure of GCSE obviously means that you would need to kind of hope that your children would be at a point that they can access the GCSEs because it's going to be a, an issue wider than MFL at that point. It's going to be an access point for all of those. So that, you know, at that point, you would really hope that there is the expertise that's there to really help with that. But, you know, in terms of Key Stage 3, you should be able to carry through quite simply with those visual clues and, and really help from that. And certainly it's something that I know with, you know, GCSE development, as that's something I've worked on in the past. It, it is always a way of inclusivity. Has There have to be continued strides for inclusivity in general for all aspects of these, because excess words on a page without visual cues can be really daunting for many learners, not just EAL. Yeah. So it, it's something that has to be taken yeah. into consideration in general. And although I'm saying it's not... EAL should not be seen as send if teachers are taking the time to adapt their teaching to meet the needs of learners with send then it would make sense that the EAL learners would have that adaption made at the same time as well so it's about the adaptive teaching being built in as as part of that really yeah that's it we do say that quite a lot on this podcast that that adaptive teaching does um serve for all your pupils and that 
sometimes this sort of level of planning and differentiation and things will help everybody, won't it? Not just your EL learners, but um, yeah, they, they they need that support sometimes. Um, going back to just asking about the GCSEs and the home languages, if somebody was thinking about that on the podcast today, would you say just to speak to the exams officer? Like how might you organise something like that? Um, the first thing to do is to speak to your language teacher in school. It's a it's a very well trodden path. Um, in terms of the availability of different languages, that will depend not all languages will be offered and the only complexity for schools is finding a native speaker to come in to conduct the exam for obvious reasons it couldn't be a parent to conduct the oral exam so that's the only limitation that schools have but often that will be something that the exams officer would arrange with uh with the exam board and they would then put you in contact with people who can do it it's usually the case that you have to enter as a private candidate and the schools arrange that for you but it's it's a very well trodden path and it's it can be a really nice boost i mean i've often seen it as a french and spanish teacher we've often had children who speak French and Spanish at home sitting their French or Spanish GCSEs in year seven, eight or nine. And it's a really nice boost for their confidence. It's really yeah. lovely. So to be able to do that in other home languages is is fantastic. And it's really nice to have that under your belt because actually sitting the exam, even though it's in your home language, the actual construct of the exam gives you the skills to cope with others. And it really helps with maturity and, and accessing those things and developing general exam skills. So it's really good. And in fact, on that, there's, there was a survey quite recently from Cambridge University saying that um, they surveyed children and those with a multilingual identity or viewed themselves as having a multilingual identity, whether that was as a learner or whether that was as an EAL background or, or anything else, tended to have a better growth mindset and then they had better GCSE scores across the board. So th there is a kind of link to that. So being positive and thinking and seeing the home language as an advantage is, is a good thing and getting in there and, and speaking. So yeah, as a first port of call, I'd speak to your language teacher at secondary school and then um, to the exams officer. I think sometimes the only barrier to sitting in maybe your seven and eight can be maturity because sitting the exam can be quite daunting. So sometimes children might feel they prefer to do it in year nine or 10 just because they're a bit older and are a bit more able to cope with it. But it's a very well-trodden path and it's a really nice way to boost confidence um and, and to give you an extra qualification yeah and like you say take it on a case-by-case -case basis but that's um sounds brilliant uh, and like you say anything that shows that the home languages are a huge advantage and really welcome in your school is is a real positive isn't it um so talking about positives um what strengths do you think eal learners bring to mfl and what can they bring to the learning culture within school so that celebration of diversity and creating that within school how can they help with that well, I, I just think it's absolutely wonderful. We um, So in, in the first case, I, I think within a classroom level, you're looking at showing a fantastic role model for language learning. You know, we, we talk about cultural capital and that's obviously part of a wider curriculum, but also within languages, it's about broadening culture and cultural capital is, is very embedded within the national curriculum. So instantly you have access to that wider cultural capital in the class and in, in a time when teachers have limited time to kind of go and research and find these things. Well, what a wonderful opportunity to find out more about other cultures. And we often talk about cultural capital, not just being about 
well, how do you celebrate certain festivals or what food you eat? But also, what are the language conventions? So what's different about your language? So in French, for example, you have a formal you. So we have a tu and a vu to be more formal and a more polite form of speaking. Does that exist in your language? Are there any cultures when you're greeting people? Would you have more formal language in certain situations? So on a level there, I think you've got that before you start. And I think having some sort of opportunity to bring in cultural capital throughout the school can only be a positive. And therefore, I would say celebrating those home languages with events such as um, International Mother Language Day, which in February, which is starting to really gain traction as a popular festival. And I think it's wonderful because we have European Day of Languages in September, which I think is, you know, is a fantastic day of the year for us in languages. But in theory, it's supposed to be about celebrating European languages. And obviously, as part of learning languages, we are trying to move children away from that Eurocentric kind of focus that we aren't just looking at French spoken in France, um, Spanish spoken in Spain. We are looking at the broader picture of these languages around the world. So when I celebrate European Day of Languages, I tend to make it about languages around the world. But International Mother Language Day is a fantastic one to help children feel really welcome. And the World Day for Cultural Diversity and Dialogue in May as well are other fantastic days to really have on your school calendar. And these children can really play a huge part in that because celebrating these home languages can be wonderful. Um, I have a colleague on the languages team who his international experience is awe inspiring in terms of where he's taught. And, and he would say that some of the most memorable days he's had in school have been where children have brought in food from their home countries or have brought in things and they have celebrated these events. So using this as any opportunity to, to really celebrate that culture is absolutely wonderful. And you really see the positives because often children who have arrived um, in our schools have not come here for positive reasons in the past. And, it, it you know, it, it can be difficult for them. But actually, we want to celebrate their home language and their home country and all the positives that that brings. So incorporating them and involving those involving them, I think, is is your most important thing and using it as as a way you know, it's it's twofold. You've you've got fantastic language learners in your classroom, and you've got children who are the living embodiment of cultural capital in your classroom. But that should then inspire you as a wider school community to actually celebrate the other home languages that are there, and to really see it as a strength. You know, it's it, it can be really daunting. So you know, I always, as a languages teacher, for me, children who speak other languages are a fantastic asset to a classroom because I know they're going to be predisposed to language learning. They're gonna automatically see language learning as a positive. So, you know, from my point of view, it can only be a good thing. I can understand that for a teacher who's very busy and is dealing with multiple complex needs within a classroom, children struggling to access English as well is another complexity within that. But within MFL, rather than making life more challenging for teachers, it's actually a really wonderful dimension. And I think it's probably the most exciting thing about having multilingual learners in your classroom. I absolutely love it. And being able to just share their experience and just say, well, how do you say this in your language? Or would you do this? Or look, this is what they've got for breakfast here. Or this is the time school starts in France. Or what happens, what happened back in your country? That's just wonderful. And that's just broadening children's horizons, which has got to be the biggest aim and you know i always say because in in primary languages particularly 
um, where teachers are very often not specialists. They're having to take it on and they perhaps only have a GCSE themselves. I'm always saying, you know, focus on skills, not drills. And I would say time spent focusing on wider global culture is never time wasted. And in terms of developing a love for language and an interest in languages, that is going to be far more useful than just saying, right, we've got to stop and learn a list of vocabulary. I would always want to encourage that. So I think it's really you know, using the opportunities that these learners bring to our classroom, you know, as, as a huge positive. Definitely. There's so much potential to be unlocked, isn't there? there? And um, like Massively. you say, you find it daunting. Um, you've just got to take that step back almost and see all that potential that you've talked about there, which which is amazing. Um, well, thank you so much. You have been an absolute energy and passion is just amazing. <laughs> Um, and all your interesting ideas have been brilliant to hear about MFL and EL and um, we've given our listeners a lot to think about um, but before we wrap up could you give us like your three top tips for MFL teachers teaching those multilingual learners um, that they could take away from today's show like maybe what they could start doing from tomorrow for example I would think on a simple level without any planning it's embrace that culture ask questions be curious um, and encourage your learners to be curious um, I, I always love uh, looking because obviously we work for the English national curriculum, but also I love looking at the Scottish, Welsh and Irish curriculum and how they approach languages. And it's something in the Welsh, um, the Welsh uh, areas of learning and expertise that I absolutely love, which is trying to foster ambitious and curious learners. And I, I think that's that's what we want. We want curious learners. We want that curiosity. So if teachers can harness that curiosity and ask those questions, and, and encourage that dialogue. I think that's a really fantastic one. On a practical level, just take a step back and think about visual clues um, and just think about how you can support any learners with EAL in the classroom. And this then is adaptive and is useful for anybody. So rather than having uh, items of vocabulary in the words can you have a picture instead just just to help with those sorts of things so think about where you can include visual clues where possible rather than text just to kind of simplify things and then I would say um, pupil voice would, would be my other one it's not something I've mentioned but I think it's very easy to not know as a busy teacher the languages that your children have or have knowledge of and as we've seen from the survey if pupils have a multilingual identity or a knowledge of some language they tend to be more open about the world they're going to be more open about learning and that's going to eventually translate to better results so i would say um a survey you know, to, to look to find out what languages you have in your school. And if you're a languages coordinator, particularly in a primary school, but you don't have an EAL coordinator, well, this is a fantastic additional direction for you to take that because you are embracing all languages. Yes, you might be teaching French, but actually you have got a responsibility to support the development of those languages too. So I, I would want to know the languages that you have and how many languages you have in your school and how then you can use those to help feed into huge school events and I can sneak into that an extra top tip which is look at celebrating the big events such as International Mother Language Day, World Day for Culture um, and Diversity and Development, I can never get the order of how that's pronounced right, and um, European Day of Languages. Oh thank you so much Bethan, so that's three big um, events throughout the year that maybe if you haven't started celebrating diversity in your school or you're thinking 
when you could start for 2024, that's a perfect um, opportunity to get started for the brand new year um, and really, really unlock that potential within your school, which sounds absolutely fabulous in the schools you've taught in Bethan. And I think it's something that we can all take away from this. Absolutely. I think it's just something that we always have to keep learning about as well. I I think, you know, we're only going to see more multilingual learners in our classroom as time goes on. So it's something that we have to embrace and actually see as a massive positive. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, Well, thank you very much for attending and sharing all your knowledge. Um, I'm sure we have got other Teach Me and CPD events planned with your team in the future. So it's something to look out for and we can... um, get all those tickets for our Teach Me CPD events on Eventbrite and I will put all of those in the bio of the podcast as well. Um, Thanks so much, Bethan. Thank you so much. (laughs)